0: Thanks for listening to the Benefits Breakdown. Stay tuned until the end of our next episode titled What is a Captive and Is It Right for My Health and Welfare Plan to receive a code for Sherm credit. Now, enjoy the episode.
1: Well, welcome to our next episode of The Benefits Breakdown. This is Vanessa Longnecker. I'm here with fabulous counterparts, Adam and Jared. Say hello.
2: Hey,
0: everybody. How are we doing out there? Good morning, everybody. Welcome to a fun one today on Leave of Absence and uh, ready to get into it.
1: We have a very special guest with us today, Melody Payton. Excited to hear more about your background. We're here to talk about all things leave and leave management. This is a space that we, in the consulting and employee benefits space, have a lot of conversation around on the daily. And regardless of size, right, all clients have needs, right? And Melanie brings an amazing perspective in her upmarket expertise, high frequency, large national scale, and And we're excited to dive in and learn from you today. Melanie, can you say hello?
3: Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me today.
1: Melanie, we'd love to spend a minute or two as we kickstart today's conversation, hear a little bit more about your background. Our understanding is you work with many Fortune 500 companies across the nation. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're focusing on the daily with your clients?
3: Yeah, I you know on a daily basis we uh, so I have a team that I work with at uh, Pacific Resources and every single day we get questions from our clients, existing, new, and friends um, that know that we love to work in this leave of absence space. Um, just about every single day we get questions that typically fall into one of five categories, although it's not limited to five. Um, Most of our clients ask us about things related to compliance. So they want to understand, you know, how do I comply with all the various laws that are out there uh, to which I'm subject. We have a lot of clients that ask us about design. So what's a prevalent design? So if if I have a multitude of provisions within my leave of absence policies, what's best practice or what's prevalent practice or what's new and what's innovative? I'm getting a lot of those questions lately. As employers start to look at their overall benefit programs, kind of moving on from the pandemic, um, wanting to understand what's new, what's different, what employers are thinking about, how they're changing things, et cetera. We also get lots of questions about employee experience. And so one of the things that probably we'll talk about today over the course of our conversation is the growing complexity of leaves of absence across this country. And so as that complexity grows The impact on the employee grows, not just the impact on the employer who has to navigate it and remain compliant with it, but to the employee who's trying to navigate it during what can be either a super happy event, like a maternity, pregnancy, birth experience, or for an employee who's going through a not so happy event, some sort of surgery or, or you know, um, adverse diagnosis or something of that nature. So employee experience is another, I would say, question that we get every single day. And then complexity and administration, I think, come to mind for me too. So we have a number of clients that uh, manage things internally with their own teams and their own staff, but they're in the minority. I would say, the vast majority of our clients have at least one vendor partner that they're working with. And so they want to better understand how do I design that experience um, and that process for not only my teams that have to manage the event for my folks, but then also for my folks that are going through that particular leave of absence event. So any day, it's like uh, it's like playing bingo, you never know. Or I guess maybe it's more like um, Forrest Gump. Like a box of chocolates, you never know what you're going to get. That's what we come into in our inbox every morning. Is you never know quite what's going to be waiting for you, nor what you're going to get throughout the day. But we always think it's super cool because this is this this is the space that we like to play in, and uh, we get really jazzed up and passionate about this topic.
0: Well, I think you're you're super popular too. This isn't your first podcast with the team, right? You got double whammy with Nick and Ben on the Coffee Compliance. So I did. You must be you must be a favorite, and I think it comes through with the expertise and i think one of the things that we drew into uh maybe to kick off some of the content here was a stat that you shared with with nick and ben which was that 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 the cost of absence often equals to what healthcare costs so this is expensive but i also think that's not visible maybe to the executive level where they see that tangible premium they're not thinking mm-hmm. about the impact and i'm maybe kind of work down that into the the types okay. of leaves that we're working on but i think that that math builds into what people being out you have to replace you have to Right. backfill. You have to pay for all these uh, additional things. Um, right. So are you seeing that within kind of your experience of the, just the expense of it all?
3: I think so. And I, I think that, you know, the, the expense of absence is close to that of healthcare. And I don't think that there's been any deliberate thought around that for a really long time. You know, it's just, I started in this business 20 years ago. And when I started in the business, it was pretty much FMLA, which was kind of new even then. Um, FMLA was passed in the 90s, so it was still kind of new when I started in this world. Uh, there were a handful of state FMLA laws on the books, and then there was disability. And that was pretty much it. You might have an employer have some sort of other company leave policy in there, uh, but the concept of leave as a broader recruitment and retention strategy was not there like it is today. So today you've had this evolution of leave as a way to attract new employees, to keep existing employees and retain that knowledge uh, and that expertise in your workforce. And so I don't think that in the past, the cost of absence and time away has been deliberately considered as an overall strategic component of a CEO or a CFO. And I think that has started to shift in the last couple of years, particularly with the expansion of statutory paid family medical leave programs. Um that's not to say other areas of leave from a statutory perspective have not increased and, and uh, grown in volume, but it seems, and Vanessa, you said it a moment ago, like every day or every week, there's something new that passes that employers have to prepare for, have to figure out how they're going to manage through, and in some cases, how they're going to pay for it. Um, You know, statutory paid sick leave is a great example of that. That's all over the United States. Paid family medical leave isn't quite as broad, but it certainly is growing. We have, I think it's, I might get my number wrong. I think it's now four laws on the books that haven't yet gone into effect. It's four that haven't yet gone into effect, but they're coming. So how do we pay for those? How do we organize those things that I mentioned earlier, which are, you know, design, um, compliance, complexity? Um, the administration and the employee experience around all of that. So I think there's a little bit more of a deliberate assessment of what it costs us to offer leaves that we have to offer from a compliance standpoint, and offer the leaves that we want to offer from a recruitment and a retention perspective.
2: So, so you mentioned Melanie. You've talked about a few different, and it's been mentioned in the conversation so far some of the different types of leaves out there. Mm -hmm. Something that I find interesting is using those as a recruitment retention tool. What are some of those that employers are using today as a recruitment retention tool to help them differentiate themselves from their competition? Mm -hmm.
3: So these would be the ones, uh, Jared, that aren't required, right? So I'm not going to talk about any of the ones that are mandated. I'm going to talk at least right now to your question about the ones that employers are putting in to retain or attract. I would say... One of the most prevalent ones that we've seen in the past has been maternity bonding parenting leave. So that's taken, it's gone through a bit of an evolution, if you will, over the last 15 years or so. It started with paid maternity leave, you know, giving birth mothers time away from work and then maybe a little bit to to recover from their childbirth and then maybe a little bit more time to bond with their new child. Um, We've seen that evolve over time into the addition of paid paternity leave, which was a leave intended for new dads. Those two sort of have combined in the last 10 years or so into paid parental leave. And so regardless of what kind of a parent you are, um, if you're a birth parent, if you're an adoptive parent, if you're a mother, if you're a father, regardless of the type of parent, if you are a new parent, even if you foster in some cases, companies are offering this paid parental leave as a recruitment and a retention um, factor, you know, we, we, we saw probably, I don't know, six, seven years ago, organizations starting to come out like Netflix um, was a real big one, um, along with Google and, and a few others that came out with these really robust, long paid parental leave policies, 16 weeks, 20 weeks, a whole year in some cases, depending on the organization. And that was an effort to, you know, get those younger employees that maybe weren't having kids yet, but were probably going to within the next five to 10 years, you know, getting them into the organization early. We've seen that evolve over the last couple of years. Um, Paid parental leave has evolved into paid caregiver leave or paid family leave. You can use two different terms there. Paid caregiver leave or paid family leave broadens the applicability of that time away. To more of a, your employee audience. So we've got multiple generations in the workforce. We all know about that. We've all heard about that before. Not all of the people in our workforce are having babies. My baby making days are over, I always say. but
2: <laughs> I think all of us are. I think we're all done. Well, no more. Yeah, let's well, so. I was going to say I'm past that point, but my wife would have loved to have had pay, paid parental leave. I think yeah, on my third yeah. child, I took, I took one day off.
3: Oh,
1: shame on you. <laughs> the times yeah, she,
2: she, she reminds me of that all the time, don't worry. <laughs> oh, I
3: bet she does, <laughs> as would I. <laughs> um, but But paid caregiver leave or paid family leave, however you want to refer to it, takes into account that we all have different caregiving needs regardless of Our age and where we are in our life. I might have a child who is an adult child who needs some help or a a teenager that needs some help. I might have uh, a parent that needs, you know, some special help or my spouse. And the interesting thing about many of the paid family leave or paid caregiver leaves that are out there, and this is true for statutory leaves as well, the ones that employers have to be compliant with. But when we're talking about leaves that employers offer to recruit and retain and, and attract, paid caregiver leave has expanded that definition of family member. So FMLA has a definition of family member that spouse, parent, child. That's it. couple of addition, in loco parentis is another fancy Latin term that is involved in the FMLA. But it's it's pretty limited in the individuals that are defined as family. State level leaves. And state level paid family medical leaves have broadened that definition to the point where most employers are following suit. And in their company leaves that they're offering, they've expanded the definition of a family member to include someone who has a close affinity or someone with whom I have a close relationship. I might have lived next to my neighbor for 25 years and they're like a parent to me or they're like a child to me, whoever, whoever, you know, whatever that relationship might be. Caregiving leave can cover that. And it doesn't have to be a blood relative. Hmm. Um, so those are two leaves that I would say most employers have offered to recruit and retain.
0: Do you find like the, the the ones we see in the news extend to that full year, which I don't think that's kind of the normal. That's probably the the bigger companies. Is, is, is the normal time maybe best practice 12 weeks to up to 26 weeks? Uh, is it even shorter than that, depending on that caregiver leave? Really?
3: I don't like to answer that question this way, but I'll say it depends. Sure. Um, I don't know that there is really a best practice in that space. I think that oftentimes what employers like to do is offer anywhere from two, I would say two to 20 weeks is pretty prevalent. I, I see very few anymore that go up to a year. That was yeah. for a very limited time. And I think the organization that did that pulled back from that um, no longer offers that year a bonding leave. Not to say that it's not still out there, but it's not prevalent in the clients that we work with. Um, so I would say, you know, Two weeks is probably at the lowest end, 16 to 20 weeks on the high end. And when I say it depends, it's largely due to cost, right? So if you're going to have somebody out for two weeks or 20 weeks, you're paying them some percentage. You may not be paying them a hundred percent of their pay. You may be paying them something less, but you're still paying them to be away. And then, that cost that we mentioned before about you know absence can cost as much as healthcare. you've not only got to pay that person for being out you've got to manage their benefits the entire time and continue their benefits because that's a prevalent component of a paid leave Um and then depending on the role you might have to bring in somebody else to do their job so if we're a team of four oh. if jared decides he's gonna you know help his wife out and take those 16 weeks of paid parental leave <laughs> the three of us may either have to pick up jared's workload or we might all revolt and say, no, bring in somebody else to bring to, to cover Jared's work. And so there's additional costs there. There's also cost on the three of us if we pick up his work, you know, from just a, a yeah. well-being perspective, right? Um so
0: well, luckily we've identified Jared's character already, so we know that's not going to be an issue with Jared. So <laughs> I think we're good. But I actually love the I love the answer it depends as well, because instead of just a, a, a black and white product, it's a conversation that has to happen to bring in all these mm-hmm. different Points of data. Right. So,
2: when you're sitting down with a client and you're talking to them, and they're trying to come up with some of these programs, my guess is that de- that depends as part of that conversation, right? You're having that conversation about the culture and the the other aspects that they're trying to create within the organization to put together that proper time frame that's going to work for them and what they're trying to accomplish. And what type of how do those conversations go? What does that look like when you're sitting down with a client to help them come up with some of these things? How does that conversation go?
3: Yeah, it's usually an evolution, I would say. So it's a conversation about what what are, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And have you even thought about what that is yet, or have you just heard about it a lot in the news and think, "Oh, we need to hop on that bandwagon." And sometimes that's it. Um, and that's there's nothing wrong with that, but it's a it's it's helpful to talk through. The why, you know, uh, why do you want to offer this and what are you hoping to accomplish? Maybe it is trying to recruit new employees. Um, Maybe it's because all of their competitors have put something in place, and competitors could mean industry, competitors could mean geography. So, you know, we have a couple of clients that are very attuned to large employers similar to them that are in the same geographic area in which they operate. And so if there's two of their competitors that put in some special type of leave, we usually get a phone call or an email that says, hey, we need to look at this. Um, so it's a, que- it's a conversation around goals and what are you trying to accomplish? It usually involves some level of benchmarking to understand, again, what their competitors and their peers are doing. Um, and some clients that we work with want to look at that benchmarking and say, I want to be right in the middle. Some other clients say, I want to be just lagging. And then some other clients will say, I want to be leading. Um, And so that's another element of that conversation. Um, And then we look at cost. And cost for us is hard to quantify. Sometimes um, we we try to use whatever existing data we can to try to determine, okay, if you're going to, go forth and offer paid caregiver leave. What kind of data do you have in your experience that we can use to create some estimates? So we might look at disability data, um, pregnancies as an example. Um, We might look at FMLA data to see that uh, if, if time was taken for one of those family members that I mentioned, the spouse, the parent, or the child, to try to predict would this qualify for your paid caregiver policy going forward? You know, it depends on what the provisions are for which um, the employer wants to make the leave available and for what duration and what rate of pay, et cetera. But we would try to look at disability data and leave data from the past to try to predict that future utilization. And sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not so easy. Depends on the robust nature of the data that's there, if there's any. Sometimes we're talking about folks that manage leave with sticky notes and spreadsheets. And so that makes it a little bit more difficult than someone who has some sort of automation or systematic process, whether it's internally or with a vendor, from which we can draw that data. Um, And certainly there's some assumptions that we have to make if the existing data Um, covers only that spouse, parent, and child. But if you expand that caregiver leave policy to a broader audience, aunts, uncles, grandparents, in-laws, sisters, brothers, um, you know, that close neighbor, then that expands the, the applicability of the benefit. And so therefore expands the potential utilization and downstream from that, the cost.
1: You know, the other thing we hear a lot, and I'm sure you do as well, Melanie, is, you know, If you have any layer of insured product, whether it's a worksite Mm -hmm. voluntary benefit, a disability benefit, or an employer-sponsored insured product set, there's oftentimes offsets right Mm -hmm. to the potential payout when there is a more comprehensive employer policy in play. What pitfalls or um, themes do you see or hear there that people should be thinking about? When you're talking about offsets, Vanessa? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that,
3: um, you know, offsets don't always apply, right? So if you're offering a caregiver leave or a paid parental leave, there might be some sort of an offset available in a state that has um, a mandated paid family medical leave or paid family leave policy. So think about California, New York, Washington, Massachusetts, largely today on either coast, it's growing. Uh, But um, for employers in those states, um, there is a potential benefit of offering a paid family uh, paid family leave rather or a paid caregiver leave. let's take California as an example um, if you're in the state program in california the the state will provide a portion of the benefit. And then whatever the state provides, say the state pays five hundred dollars um, to the employee for their paid family leave benefit. Then if the company would have typically paid thousand dollars for that week, the company is only on the hook for five hundred in the benefit amount, right? So we're not we're not talking about the contributions and the other employer expenses that go into participating in that in that program. Um, but the the state would pay five hundred, and then the employer would pay the five hundred, and, and at the end of the day, the employee is made whole. They've gotten their $1,000, whatever that benefit was. I think the pitfall that comes into play there is that employees don't always understand how that coordinates, right? So um, they may have to file for their leave with their employer or a vendor if that's in place. And then they might have to go to the state and file with the state. And then the state only pays them amount A and the employer only pays them amount B. And trying to reconcile A plus B, is that really what I should have had? And then there's taxes taken out. Potentially of my employer benefit. And so how does that work and what happens to my benefits and are there premiums taken out of my benefits or not? And so it can be a really complicated puzzle for an employee to figure out that offset process and to really feel like they've gotten the full benefit to which they're entitled um, and to navigate through those different processes to make
1: sure that it's right
3: um, and to feel confident that it's right.
1: Yeah, I think that gets back to where you led with the employee experience is such Mm -hmm. a big piece of current conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And it shouldn't be overlooked. It's one thing to have a comprehensive policy or be generous in those ways. But when it gets convoluted at the time of need, right? Mm-hmm. Some of these are exciting yep. moments and others are very, very difficult moments in a team member's life, right? And so how do you solve for what ways are employers trying to solve for that employee experience?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, that's something that we talk about a lot, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And, and it's interesting because I think that a lot of the vendor community um, tries to look toward technology, to solve that experience for the employee. And, and employers try to do that too, to a degree, you know, pushing things out through email, um, making things available on some sort of a portal, whether it's you know informational resources that say, hey, you're having a baby, go to this brochure and it will tell you everything that you need to know. Vendors use that same methodology. They'll create communications that go to the employee via email or some sort of a portal, maybe a hard copy letter. Text messages have moved into the leave of absence administration space. So if I sign up for and opt into text messages, I get a text message on my phone that tells me, hey, we got your paperwork or hey, it's ready. You're ready to go back to work or hey, make sure you file with the state of California for your paid family medical leave or whatever that might be. Chatbots are really kind of a, a popular communication method, at least in theory. And I say all of that because it really is that, I think. I think that vendors and employers think that technology can help to solve that complexity. But we do a lot of, uh, we call them leave assessments with our clients. So we'll come in and we'll kind of do a a full end-to-end analysis of the leave of absence process. So what's it look like from the point in time where an employee says, I need a leave, through to the point where their leave is over and they return to work. everything that you can think of that goes into that part of our leave assessment process is interviews for lack of a better term, focus groups that we do with folks that either manage the process or have experienced the process for that client. And 90% of the time, regardless of the technology tools that are available, people say, I want to pick up the phone. I want to talk to somebody. I want somebody to help me understand how this is all going to work. And so when we think about the coordination with, you know, these, multiple programs and add to that the potential for offsets because of those multiple programs, most of the time, somebody just wants to pick up the phone and say, tell me how this is going to work. I got a lot of stuff on my mind. I've either got a new baby crying because I'm super happy and Jared's not helping me out because he's at work. Or or I just had surgery and I'm I deserve that. (laughs) And I'm hurting and I don't want to figure it out. I want you to tell me. I don't want to look at a job aid. I don't want no. to look at my email. I don't want to look at a text message. I want somebody to walk me through the process.
0: Well, and bringing that back to the challenge for employers, I mean, we're not dealing with a thousand people in the state of Idaho, all within one building or California or Minnesota, pick your state. We're all over the place. Like we're, we had an employment com- employer conversation yesterday. Again, we're sighted here in California, but 30 locations across the US. Mm-hmm. How does that HR executive know and feel confident that, what they're doing in California, which is, again, we're weird out here, right? That's Let's just all admit that. It's very different than what happens up with Washington, which seems like it's more integrated, or New York, Gosh, which yeah. does its own thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can see Melanie's kind of grimacing when he said other states, but I'm not sure which one was that, yeah. but they're all special, right? Yeah, so d- special. So where, where I'm kind of leading with that, does that come back to the, the reality of the need for what you just talked about, potentially the integration of technology? Because yeah. at the end of the day, to the employer, there's a risk. Assessed evolved with with not doing this the right way. I would imagine in a very employee focused economy, I think courts even. I don't want to go that far, but like people are going to lean towards the side of the employee and make sure employers do it the right way. Is that a reality in our in your business where you do it wrong, you might get a get a fine or a penalty?
3: Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think it depends. Well, yeah, there I go again. <laughs> On the state I think that it's never one of our employers int- intentions to do it wrong. Like no. nobody ever says I, I don't I don't want it to be a good experience. Um, you can't control every variable. You try very hard as an employer to you know define your process and define your administration, whether it's all internal or, or in collaboration with a vendor partner. Um, you can't make everybody happy all the time. And I would say that the fallout is is typically not re- compliance related interestingly mm-hmm. um, because I think companies that use a vendor to administer leaves of absence whether it's a you know software or technology solution or if it's a full outsourced solution there is technology that supports the compliance of that event. So if you're in California, not to keep picking on California, I'll stop picking on Jared too. Um, (laughs) Not to keep picking on California, but California, if you're going out for a baby that, you know, I don't know, I have five different laws, at least, at least maybe six um, that could cover you in California. There is plenty of technology support available and out there that allows an employer to be compliant with those five or six things. Even if it's somebody local at the HR level, that's managing the absence, there's enough information that is, you know, you could compile a job aid that says this applies here, this applies here, this applies here, this applies here. Or if you're using technology or, or an administrator, they will identify what applies when for you. I think the majority of the fallout happens when the employee experience is poor. Because is poor. it only takes, you know, if, if you think about it, I don't know many people who give glowing reviews online when something great happens at like a restaurant or a store. (laughs) The most reviews you get are the ones where something didn't go right. And so we see that in the leave assessments that we do. We see that in the feedback and the surveys that employers do or their vendors do on the employer's behalf of the leave of absence process. We see the areas where things went wrong. And that's what you hear most of. And the, most of the noise is around that 20%. So like 80-20 rule, right? I think that's pretty true in absence. But I think most of the fallout is when that employee experience has gone awry. And then most of our clients try to work to prevent that going forward. So okay. I don't see a whole lot of litigation that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always a concern for us, of course, because um, it uh, it still only takes one, whether it's FMLA or ADA or something else, and they can be pretty expensive. Uh, but I think more of the risk comes into play in that employee experience.
0: And what about a snowball effect from there, right? You've got, you had to deal with the cost of that initial leave. You had to mm-hmm. kind of manage that throughout with now an unhappy experience and say an employee left, deal with the turnover. That's mm-hmm. That's big dollars, hence what we talked about at the front end with the cost of this whole thing.
3: Yep. And just one bad review on Glassdoor—that seems to be the one everybody finds. Yep, absolutely.
2: So we've talked a lot about mandated leaves that each state is is putting in place, and I don't know the answer to this at all. But have you heard rumblings at all, Melanie, of any kind of federal mandated for parental leave that's going to come or is in the in the works?
3: There is. Um, there has been some proposal of a federal paid leave. Um, I would say paid family leave. Uh, so it's that broader definition as opposed to just the parental, the bonding. There's been propositions of federal paid family leave for a long time. Um, the Family Act keeps bubbling up. It came up again this year after the administration changed. President Biden put forth a proposal um, in the America's Americans' Families Plan. I can't speak. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> to provide paid family leave uh, as part of that proposal. Uh, And then there is a bill in the House Ways and Means Committee that would provide paid family leave. Uh, Each one of those has a little bit of a different structure uh, in terms of what would be provided and how it would be funded. And is it required or is it optional? And, you know, so, so there's some idiosyncrasies in all of those. I think that we are closer than we've ever been to having some sort of a national paid leave program. What it ultimately looks like, I don't know. Um, I do think that whatever is passed at the federal level will be the floor. It'll be the very minimum that needs to be offered. And I think, sadly, from my perspective, I don't see the states saying, "Okay, we're done with our program because there's now a federal paid leave program. I think the states are going to continue to do what the states have done, which is to try to create programs that are good for their populace. Um, And so I don't see California, Washington, Connecticut, Massachusetts, New York, New Jersey, Rhode Island, DC, any of those states. Colorado's coming. New Hampshire just passed a a new paid uh, family leave insurance bill about two weeks ago. I don't see any of those states backing off and saying we're done. I think we will add to that coordination, Vanessa, that we talked about before about you know you'll you'll be eligible for this and you'll be eligible for this a, a second program, a third program, a fourth program.
1: Now we got to figure out again more complexity how all those fit together. Yeah, and I would say you know on the heels of COVID, silver lining, right. new flex work schedules. You had to
2: bring up the c word, didn't you?
1: right i mean the reality though is it has absolutely changed and evolved the future of of employment for most employers and employees alike so these risks that we talk about now, when you have employees and teammates working coast to coast, where you may have mm-hmm. been more centralized in certain markets or regions in the past, uh, certainly amplify, right, the future of what this landscape and or pain points for employers may look like. So certainly a lot to think about there. We gladly welcome and appreciate your expertise. So we could talk for hours and hours. I'm sure we greatly appreciate your time today, Melanie, and we're excited, right, as um, all part of the broader Brown and Brown family, we bring this unique expertise and experience to the horizon each and every day. So certainly more fun ahead in this evolving landscape. And thank you again for your participation today.
2: Yeah, Melanie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I feel like we barely scratched the surface. We may have to have you back
1: here. <laughs> part two on the horizon. Yeah. I would love to join you. Awesome. Well, we uh, thank you all for listening today and welcome you next time for the Benefits Breakdown. Take care, have fun.